Jesus' name, amen. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sisters, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sisters, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, brothers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Come on, brothers, let's go down, down in the river to As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown, good Lord, show me the way. Oh, fathers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, fathers, let's go down, down in the river to As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, mothers, let's go down. Come on down, don't you want to go down? Come on, mothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown, good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sinners, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sinners, let's go down, down in the river to pray. I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown, good Lord, show me the way. You know, for 2,000 years, the church has been baptizing. And there are different ideas, there are different procedures, there are lots of questions that have been uh, handed around and passed around and discussed, argued. Oh heavens, some people have been killed over some of these questions if you go through church history. There was a time during the Reformation movement where in Switzerland, if you were a believer's baptizing church, you uh, had a good shot at, at being killed. Um, there was uh, 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 questions that have come out that we still have. We're gathered together this morning at Champion Forest Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. 
And even the word Baptist is found in our name. When I was uh, translating, I took, uh, um, in an undergraduate class, I took a course on 1 Corinthians. Uh, it, it wasn't a Bible course, it was a Greek course where we were translating 1 Corinthians in the Greek. And there's a passage where Paul says, God did not send me to baptize, per se, in that situation. And I translated it uh, uh, to the humor of my classmates, though not to my professor. Because uh, I was called on for that passage. And I said, God did not send me to be a Baptist. <laughs> Which <laughs> technically could have been an okay translation. Though obviously that's, that's not what Paul had in mind. Because he, he, was, uh, uh, he preceded the Baptist church. But uh, uh, the, 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 the questions have been there. They're still there. They're there today. Some of you are in attendance in this class at Champions Forest Baptist Church, but you're members at, oh, I've got some friends who are members over at Northwood Presbyterian. We've got a delightful uh, young lady who's come to our class for six or seven years who goes to Northwood Presbyterian. In fact, she's a greeter there and occasionally still has on her name tag because she just bails out and comes over here to class. Um, who gets baptized? That's a question. Who should be baptized? Uh, do we baptize babies? Infant baptism called pedo baptism. Uh, pedo from the, the Greek for babies like pediatrics or baby doctors, you know? So do we baptize infants? Uh, do we baptize believers? Credo baptism, same basic word as creed, those who, who have professed a faith. Who is it that we're going to baptize? But that's not the only question. Uh, how are we going to do it? You know, are we going to immerse them? Or are we going to sprinkle them? Or are we going to pour them? Are we going to say a certain formula? Or are we going to say a certain phrase? Do we baptize them in the name of Jesus? Or do we baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Do we baptize them unto a forgiveness of sins to receive the Holy Spirit? Or do we baptize them for the forgiveness of sins? Or do we baptize them because they've been forgiven for their sins? What is it? How is it we're going to say it? And what are we going to do? Which brings the next question. Why are we baptizing to start with? You know, do we baptize people so that they can come into the church? I grew up in a different denomination than the, the Baptist denomination. I grew up in the Church of Christ. And in the Church of Christ, there was an aspect of the church that taught that you had to be baptized to go to heaven. And we were given, and, 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 and churches of Christ are like most other churches. You cannot categorize how everybody sees things or even how every church, church congregation sees things. Because there's great diversity within them. Just as there is in the Baptist church, just as there is even in a Catholic church. There's a great diversity of opinion. But I can think of some of my friends who thought... They'd come up with a really good line to argue against the Baptists. Because that's, that was, when we were growing up, that was kind of like school spirit. We had church spirit. 
Okay? You know, school spirit, we were Coronado High School. We like to beat Monterey. Church spirit, we were the Broadway Church of Christ. We like to beat First Baptist. Okay? We like to beat them to the restaurant. We like to beat them in the basketball league. You know, as, and we like to beat them in, in theological debate. So one of our catchphrases was, wait a minute, you're a Baptist, right? Right. Do you have to be baptized to go to heaven? No. Do you have to be baptized to be a member of your Baptist church? Yes. So you're telling me it's harder to get into the Baptist church than it is heaven. <laughs> you know? Uh, so is, is baptism something you do to get into the church? Is it something that's done to erase or forgive sins? You know, in Acts 2, verse 38, after Peter has preached a, a, a sermon and the people realized that they basically were responsible for killing the Son of God, they said, what shall we do? And Peter's response is, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, does, is Peter saying... For the forgiveness of sins in the sense that if you repent and you're baptized, then you will get. Like, go to the store for milk. You know, do it to get the milk, to get forgiveness. Or does Peter say it in the sense of go to jail for murder? Be, in other words, it's something you've already got, so now you get baptized. You repent and be baptized because you've got a forgiveness of sins. Or is it just a label? That type of a baptism. Like John the Baptist came preaching a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. But it, it, biblically that's what it says. But, but clearly John the Baptist's baptism was not necessary for people to have their sins forgiven. It's, it was a, a repentance. It was unto, in, to use King James language. So is that what baptism is about? Is that why we do it? Do we baptize... As a way of dedicating a child. Because there are large denominational groups where the child is baptized, the infant's baptized, not so much for the infant's sake as for the dedication and conviction and commitment of the parents and the church. That they'll raise that child consistent with the Christian faith that that child's just been baptized into. By the way, let's go back for a minute. If we go back to uh, the, the, the forgiveness of sins, there is a, a perspective strong within Catholicism that says baptismal waters are the way that sins are forgiven. It's a sacrament. It's an actual dispensing of grace that occurs there, which is why theologically some people argue you must baptize infants. Heaven forbid if the forgiveness is coming through the waters and that sacrament itself that you put the decision off. And then the churches that practiced believer baptism respond to that and say, yeah, but God doesn't count sins against you until you reach an age of accountability. Have you heard that phrase? Until you and, and, and try to find that in the Bible, you won't because it's not. A phrase that comes out of the Bible. And it's a phrase that's filled with murky waters. Because I can remember trying to figure that out when I was a kid. Saying, okay, well, does that mean if you don't have enough mental 
acuity. If, if you've got, you know, your, your brain didn't develop right, I guess, uh, you know, and, and at what point are you accountable? Where is that line that you cross one day you're saved without being baptized, the next day or the next moment, the next, some precise second, have you crossed a line? I, these are, these are, are questions that come out. So what, what, so, so why are we baptizing? Oh, we're not done with the questions. Baptize them once or twice. If you came out of the Pentecostal movement, or are still in the Pentecostal movement, they have a, a dual baptism. You can have your initial baptism of Christian faith, but then you wait for a second baptism of the Holy Spirit. Frequently evidence they believe by speaking in tongues, a manifestation of the Spirit. These aren't the only questions. I got an email. I was, I was on this email chain. I was, I was the lapdog at the end of the chain. I was kind of an afterthought. But uh, this gives you an idea of what Dr. Fleming and Dr. Trammell's life must be like. I'll bet they get eight zillion of these a day. Uh, uh, I only get copied on an occasional one. Another question for the smart guys and Mark. I've recently run across again 1 Corinthians 15, 29, and here's the passage. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? The subject line on this email is, should we be Mormons too? Because the Mormons baptize for the dead using this scripture. Uh, my friend said, I'm totally blank on what it means. Can any of you learned gentlemen help me understand this verse's meaning? Thanks. Uh, I, I responded to him and, and the response I gave while I'll talk about it this morning, I do want you to know it's in your handout. I went ahead and reproduced it. So you'll have that later. But we've got these burning questions. What are we going to do? Well, I'd suggest we tune in to the Ask Paul Radio Hour. Let's see what Brother Paul might say on his radio show about these issues. And, and uh, so we'll do it. I suspect Brother Paul would say, hey, check out Romans 6, 1 Corinthians 11, uh, uh, and chapter 1 actually, and chapter 12. Galatians 3, Ephesians 4, and Colossians 2. Because Paul wrote on baptism. Here's the problem though. And Brother Paul, we will check those out. Here's the problem. Paul was what some people call a task theologian, by and large. Maybe not totally, but by and large. When Paul was writing theological works, if you will, he was doing it because it was, there was a task at hand. There was a problem that he needed to address. Scholars call his writings occasional. And by that, they don't mean he wrote every now and again. They mean he wrote specifically targeting occasions that needed his attention. You with me? So Paul didn't ever really have anybody asking the questions we're asking. So when we read Paul, Paul, first thing we got to do is figure out what questions he was addressing. And understand what he wrote in context. Then... 
recognizing that God has, and through the church and the Holy Spirit, has selected these writings of Paul. And by the way, we don't have all of Paul's writings in the Bible. Paul himself was not a perfect theologian. But what we do have in the Bible are those aspects of Paul's theology that God chose through the Holy Spirit and the church for us through the ages. Because these we can rely upon, not simply as Paul's theology, Paul the imperfect theologian, but these have God's stamp of approval and authority. This is God's message for the church for the ages. But if we want to understand his message for our church in our age, we need to understand it in light of the age and the church where it was first written. Makes sense. This is what we've been doing in this class for some time. We're going to continue to do that. So let's go to Paul. Let's check out what Paul had to say. Let's try and do it within the context of, of what Paul was, was actually saying. Now, so we don't have a lot of time. We'll see which ones we can go through. But I've gone through every passage that Paul writes where he uses the word baptize in your lesson. He talks about washing with regeneration in Titus. I didn't put that in there. But other than that, I think I have covered basically everything that he talks about. We'll see which ones we can cover here. Uh, it, it can get tedious to read through this with me. But I'll ask you to do it because... Uh, we're all adults here. We can be tedious. And most of us are adults. Okay, so here we go. Let's start. This is Romans chapter 6. And, and I'll put it into perspective. Romans is a book that Paul wrote because, uh, I, I believe, uh, there was a church in Rome that Paul had never been to before. The church was made up of Jews and Gentiles. There were riots in Rome, probably associated with the church, according to Suetonius. But there were uh, a, a secular writer. But there were riots in Rome. And those riots caused Caesar just to kick out the Jews. He says this is going to be a whole lot easier if the Jews leave Rome. So he just kicks out the Jews. Well, the Jews leave Rome. That means they leave the church. So who's left? The Gentiles. So that means the Gentiles are in charge of a church that the Jews started. Now you got the Gentiles doing announcements. Steve Taylor, your long line of Gentile announcers. You've got, you've got the class coordinators, a Gentile now. You've got the Gentiles doing the preaching. You've got the Gentiles in charge of the budget. You've got the Gentiles doing the collection. The Gentiles giving the Lord's Supper and the Agape Feast. And I'm sure everything's going swimmingly well until the ban is lifted and the Jews come back in. And now the old class coordinator's back and says, Thank you, Steve, for holding my job for me while I was gone. This is, after all, a Jewish church and we have returned. And I'm sure there was quite a bit of discord and questions and friction. And that's the atmosphere into which Paul writes the letter of Romans. So Paul's writing a letter to a church where he's not been because Paul wants that church to understand how they all fit together as one body in Christ. 
So Paul starts out and he starts out by saying, hey, let's just be clear how all of us stand before Jesus. God has these principles of judgment. If you're righteous and don't make any mistake, you go to heaven. If you make a mistake, you go to hell. Now, how many people are going to heaven? On that principle, nobody, he says, because Gentiles, you're all a bunch of reprobate sinners. And Jews don't get too uppity because even your own scripture says you don't do one good deed. Everybody in the world, by God's principles of judgment, is going to hell. And if Paul had finished that letter in chapter 3, verse 20, it would have been dismal news news indeed. But in verse 321, he says, but now there's a righteousness that's been made manifest. You've got a salvation. You've got a righteousness. You've got an acceptance into a relationship with God, not based on what you do, but based on what Jesus has done. And it's the same whether you're a Jew or a Greek, because you all need it the same. And that's your basis. And now when you start addressing how it is you live, some of you will hear me say, hey, I've been saved based on what I, my faith in Christ, based on his finished work, apportioned to me by faith. And, and Paul says this isn't something new. It was the way it was with Abraham. Just as sin came into the world through Adam, righteousness has come into the world through Jesus Christ. So you are saved by faith, not by works. And now we get to Romans chapter 6. Where he says, I know what some of you are saying. If we're saved by faith, then we can do all the sinning we want. In fact, sin is a good thing because it shows God's forgiveness even more. We're building God up to be an even bigger forgiving God. How great is his grace? Oh, his grace is so-so if I sin this much. But if I sin like this, man, he's got incredible grace. So this is Paul's issue that he's dealing with. Now we're in context. So what are we going to say, he says? Are we to continue to sin so there can be even more grace? Meganoito in the Greek. That's an idiomatic expression. Translators, you know, an idiom is something uh, like uh, uh, a a local phrase. You know, like uh, seven up for seven to seven. An idiom is an expression like that. This is an expression. I, I, I think a great way to translate this for us today into idiomatic English is to say, no way. Because it's that type of an expression. No way. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Let's keep going. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, you know, we, we were, this is the point Paul's making, by the way. Paul, I'm going to interrupt long enough to say this is not Paul saying simply that your baptism is a symbol of you being dead with Christ and raised in new life. That's not simply what he's saying. The, the baptism is not just a symbol. Paul is saying, you believer, you Christian actually did die with Christ. When Christ was on the cross, he truly did take your sin. And you truly were there on that cross 
with him as your representative. It's a historical fact, not simply a symbol. The baptism, he says, is a symbolic reenactment of the historical fact that you died with Christ. But just as you died with Christ, just as you went into the waters, so you came out, so you were resurrected with Him to a new life. Just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too walk in newness of life. If we've been united with Him in a death like His, we'll certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know our old self was crucified with Him. It happened. Historical fact. The old you, the old me, the, the pre-Christian you, truly crucified with Christ. I had a professor who made this point so well. In fact, he was the professor who was teaching that 1 Corinthians Greek class. And one of the students said to him, Dr. Floyd, tell us about the day you were saved. And he said, oh, what a day. He said it was almost 2,000 years ago. And he proceeded to explain how he was on that cross. He died with Christ. And was raised to a new life. And Paul says, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So you wouldn't be enslaved to sin. You've been set free. The whole point of Paul's illustration or Paul's writing on baptism here. Is to explain to everyone. That you're not who you used to be. And so you don't stand around and say, hey, we can send all we want. Heavens, no. By no means. Meganoito. You should memorize that Greek phrase. It comes in really handy in life. Meganoito. By no means. Heavens, no. Absolutely not. No way. I, you died. I died with Christ. I've been resurrected to a new life. Do you really think I'm going to go back and live like that? This is a, it's a game changer. That's, and, and, and Paul's able to use baptism here. What can we glean from the sides of this? Baptism's a wonderful illustration for him because everyone had been baptized. All of the people hearing this letter had been baptized. They didn't have the hundreds of years of controversies. They don't have people sitting around saying, must you be baptized to go to heaven? Let's say you're walking down the aisle to be baptized because you've made the confession of faith and you slip and you fall and you crack your head and you die. Will you go to heaven or hell? You know, they, they, they haven't done those issues. They just, Jesus said in the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them. They did it. And so there, it, it, the Great Commission is the preaching and the baptizing. That's what was done. And so you've, you've, you've got a wonderful way for Paul to do it. Now I want to add something else here though. Because Paul uses a phrase that we miss the import of sometimes if we're not careful. Paul says, Did, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus. Heis Christos Jesu. Into Christ Jesus. Scholars write wonderful articles and book 
chapters and sections on does Paul mean this in the Jewish sense of into Christ Jesus or in the name of Christ he'll say it in other, Paul says it in other places or does Paul mean this in the Greek sense because that phrase had usage in Greek and in Hebrew in Greek you find the phrase used for like banking deposits uh, and Paul uses other banking terminology in Romans as well, where he talks about faith being reckoned as righteousness. That's a bank term. But, but this is a bank terminology where you make a deposit in the name of someone on behalf of someone. It's one that shows a relationship, an ownership relationship, if you will. And so the, the, the thing about the Hebrew is it's, it's the same basic meaning. It's just Hebrew has a little bit greater breadth. But while the scholars can debate back and forth over whether it's Greek or Hebrew, it doesn't really matter for our purposes within this context because it means the same thing anyway. It means you were baptized into a relationship with Christ Jesus where he is your Lord. Where you belong to him. That's, that, this is a process, this is a, 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 an... Let's, let's set this aside for a minute and look at a second place where Paul writes it. This is the 1 Corinthians, but hang on to that reasoning because it shows the same thing. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is talking about the divisions. In 1 Corinthians, this is where Paul's writing about the divisions that are in the church. And look what he says. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions, that you be united in the same mind, same judgment... I've heard from Chloe's people that y'all are fussing. What I mean is, one of you says, I follow Paul. Or, I follow Apollos. Or, I follow Peter. Or then the really pious ones, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? See that in the name of Paul? That's the idea. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Were you baptized because Paul owns you? You belong to Paul? I belong to Paul. No, you're baptized in the name of Christ because that means you are, give, you are showing Christ's ownership in your life. You belong to him. So in the Romans context, Paul says, you died with him, you're resurrected with him, you're baptized into his name, you belong to him. Do you really need to ask the question, hey, it doesn't matter how we live? Um, if you look at some other passages, uh, um, we'll skip through it. A number of these are talking, oh, I, let's do this one next. The Galatians passage is a beautiful passage. Galatians 3, 25 and 27. Can we pull it up there? Thank you. Galatians 3, 25 through 27. This is going to run onto two sheets. Paul says, now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ, you're all sons of God through faith. For as many of you... For as many of you... As were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. That's a wonderful illustration. You see, Jews 
baptized. John the Baptist was a Jew. He baptized. They baptized converts to Judaism. And some groups, like in the Dead Sea community, they baptized a lot of people a lot of times for a lot of different reasons. But one thing that was consistent, whether Jew or at this point into the Gentile world, is the process included, and, and I think all scholars agree at this point in time, it's an immersion process. Within church history, uh, 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 sprinkling and, and pouring did not become uh, a part of the, the baptismal practice until centuries later. So uh, uh, what they would do is they would take off their clothes and strip down to basically their uh, uh, equivalent of, of skivvies. Okay? And they, they did have skivvies, male and female skivvies. But, but uh, they would strip down. Now, that's why they would separate out. And we have accounts of when women were being baptized, the man who was doing the baptism would turn his back until she got adequately in the water. Out of respect. So what they would do though is they would basically strip down to nothing to be baptized. And then when they came out, they put back on their clothes. And frequently within the church, they would put on new clothes. Paul's using that very clothing dress terminology here in Galatians. He's using it when he says... As many of you who were, as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You put him on like a garment. You wear him. You come out of, of, of the water, if you will, dressed differently. You have given your life. You've made a commitment. You see the commitment. The world sees the commitment. And you are not the same as those without the commitment. You've put on Christ. And, and so it's a wonderful image that Paul uses there in Galatians. You know, if you look at uh, um, the other passages, you'll find them to be uh, similar in what they're saying, except for one. There's one that's absolutely bizarre. And we should take just a moment, but not too long to deal with it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul's dealing with the resurrection from the dead. And if we look at, at verse 20, Paul's got some people who are questioning whether or not there truly is a resurrection from the dead. And Paul's saying, of course there's a resurrection from the dead. And he's giving his arguments. He says, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. Because just as Christ was raised from the dead, so will others. And you may be thinking, Corinthians, that... Oh, if we're the, the only people God's, that get to go home are the people still alive when Jesus returns. And Paul's saying, no, that's not true. It, you, God's going to resurrect anybody who's died. Just as Christ. He's the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. As by a man came death, the reason we die is because of Adam. So by a man comes a resurrection of the dead. The dead will rise. They will be resurrected. As in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be alive. But each in his own order. So Christ first, then at his coming those who belong to Christ, 
Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to the Father after destroying every rule, every authority, and every power. For he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So it's within the context of Paul making this argument that Paul says the following. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead aren't raised, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why do we put ourselves in danger every hour? Why am I willing to fight beasts if need be? Why am I willing to sacrifice my life if there's no resurrection? Here's the point. Paul doesn't give a doctrine, nor does the Bible give a doctrine, of baptism for resurrecting the dead. Paul is grabbing out experiences that the Corinthians were familiar with to use them to show his, the truth of his argument that there is a resurrection from the dead. He's, in other words, he's saying, hey, if you don't think there's a resurrection, then why are you doing that? Now, Paul's not validating what they're doing there. Paul's not saying we should all be doing it. God, nowhere in Scripture, not one place in Scripture, not one place in church history for 200 years do we read about this. And then only these Marcionites, which were heretics. This is not part of the church. This is not part of Scripture. It's just a, an unusual practice that was going on there in Corinth with some people. That Paul's able to use to substantiate his argument. It's called an ad hominem use. That's, that's what this is. And if you read the scholars trying to tell us what it means. Gordon Fee in his Corinthian commentary counts over 40 different ideas. Of people suggesting what, what this means and what was going on. That alone tells you. That it's not. What was going on that we're supposed to understand. We're supposed to understand why Paul's writing about it. This, this more than anything else begs for what we're trying to do about putting scripture into context. Understand what Paul's saying before we try to apply it. And why he's saying it. Because all Paul's doing is pulling something out of their experience. Uh, and it's the same thing with him. He said, why on earth if there's no resurrection from death? Why am I walking around putting my life in danger? Why do I fight beasts in Ephesus, he says. Look at this. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus if the dead aren't raised? Now, is that Paul telling everybody to go find a beast and go to Ephesus and fight him? No. No, it's not. It's, he's, he's using examples of what they have seen and experienced. So, now, if we look at Paul's passages, whoops. If we look at Paul's passages... Um, uh, where does it take us? How do we answer the questions? Who should be baptized? Well, Paul doesn't directly say who should be baptized. But Paul does make it clear that your baptism that he's talking about is your appeal to God. It's your putting on Christ. It's your faith expression. It's your reenacting of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, which is yours, he made the point clear in Romans and Galatians, by faith. Now, this is the reason, folks, within our tradition, baptize believers. 
You'll find other traditions that say, well, we don't baptize believers, but the children that have been baptized go through a confirmation process where they go back and reconfirm and and personalize the decision that had been made for them by their parents. There's some wonderful books on this. Uh, uh, Clearly, uh, that is not where I land on this issue. It's not what I've taught our children, though I have respect and love for people who are there. And, and, and so there are some wonderful books on both sides of the issue. I'd recommend, uh, I've given Carl Bart's book. Oscar Coleman wrote a response to it in support of infant baptism. Um, those sites, I think, are in your paper and you can look at them. How do we do it? Well, you know, you look at the biblical word. The biblical word baptize means immerse, but... Paul talks, for example, in Corinthians about how the Jews were baptized into Moses as they crossed the Red Sea with the cloud. Well, they weren't immersed in the Red Sea. Those those were the Egyptians. Um, That's kind of the point of the story. But what Paul's doing is he's, Paul's trying to make a position statement there. And in the process, he... uh, 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 Christian uses Christian terminology. He'll use the Lord's Supper terminology to talk about the man in the wilderness. Paul's point being, just because you're in God's group doesn't mean you're doing everything that you need to be doing to please God. Look at these folks. They were baptized into Moses. They ate the Lord's Supper manna, yet God struck a bunch of them down dead because they weren't pleasing him the way they should have. So, so Paul's saying, don't think just because you're doing the rituals, it makes you right. And be serious about your faith. And it's within that context. So, so does that mean that, that well, baptism is used differently? If you look at Mark 7, 4, the same word baptize is being used, talking about the Jews baptizing or washing before a meal. And it talks about them also washing their sofa. Now, I think the pictural image within Scripture is clearly immersed. That was the practice of the early church. But am I going to stand here and throw rocks at people who do differently? Uh, No, I'm not going to throw rocks at them. Uh, But I am going to teach my children and I'm going to enjoy myself. The beautiful picture of of Christian baptism and immersion. Um, Why be baptized? Okay, I, I don't have... I'm, I'm out of time, and, I, and I've got to get to the points for home. But I got a real easy answer to this one. This one's so easy. You want to know why I'd be baptized? Christ said to. Okay. The same reason you're to love your neighbor. The same reason you're to trust God with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. The same reason you're to avoid... Uh, killing anybody if you can you know i guess uh uh if you're in war we've got some complications adultery that's an easy one same reason you're supposed to avoid adultery okay god said it and it's really a wonderful blessing too because if you ask someone subjectively can you go back and find that point in time and are you confident at some point in time you truly put some measure of faith in christ It's a difficult chore for some people to go back. But you can always go back and say, wait a minute, my faith moved me to do what Christ commanded and to be baptized. So I had that faith. I would not have walked the aisles of the Broadway Church of Christ 
and done something that was very difficult for a 12-year-old boy to do if I wasn't convinced that Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, wanted me to. And I was answering in faith. So it's a really nice gift from God. Why do it? He told us to. We can get into more theological debates later. I don't have time for once or twice. Next week, we're going to do the Lord's Supper. We're not going to do the Lord's Supper, but we're going to work on it. Because it's Jew and Gentile alike. It's got some great stuff, so I'm really excited about it. But for now, let me tell you, all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Paul's point is, how do you live? Do you live in a way that shows it? As many of you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. I got to tell you, you look good. I like your clothes. When I get to those pearly gates, nobody's going to sit there and say, let's see. Lanier, ooh, which one? A Mark, ooh. They're going to say, Jesus, son of God, come right in here. They're going to see my clothes. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. This is a good place you can look back. It's very useful. Would you pray with me? Lord, I feel so inadequate at scratching the surface of some of these subjects in a 45-minute presentation. And I feel constrained by time and and walk out of here so many times feeling inadequate at what, what I've done or failed to do. It is my prayer Lord that you will not only be in this message but that you'll be in the lesson as well and I thank you for the opportunities that we have to give written lessons out that can go into a lot more detail and depth uh, than, than we have time for up here Lord would you please move in everybody's hearts and, and bring them to a deeper place of com- conviction to study not only who you are, but what you want for them, what you give them in their lives. We pray in the name of our Lord, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Mark. Before you go, that's, that's very important. Thank you for hitting a, a tough subject. Uh, before you go, I forgot very, one very important announcement. Where did Tracy go? Well, I guess, okay, I'll do it then. Um, I've lost Tracy. Our, our inReach, uh, we have about 40 or 50 people on our inReach, and we have just been overwhelmed by a number of requests that we want to serve so faithfully. And so we ask, uh, we really need your help to meet some of these needs of people that are in the class here for a meal or for a transportation. Uh, there's like four major requests that we have right now. There's Tracy. I know I'd find her sooner or later. And, and so if you would, if you're on our inReach team, uh, of those 50 people, please take a look at your emails or email Tracy. If you're not on the inReach team, we would love for you to just, even if this is a one-off, where you just call and say, I want to help uh, make a meal for somebody. And the way to do that is email Tracy. It's tracy.martin at hp.com. And that will get to her. If you forget that one, just do steve at biblicalliteracy.com, and I will send that. Yeah, we're, we're, we really, 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 really need help. So anyway, thanks, you guys, very much. I love you all.